0: The Scream Kings are in no way responsible for any encounters with the paranormal, extraterrestrial abductions, eldritch insanity, hauntings, curses, hexes, demonic possessions, cryptozoological sightings, or any loss of sleep that may result from listening to this podcast.
1: This is the Screen King's Podcast. I'm Max George.
2: And I'm Nathaniel Darkish.
1: The Mazic will find another broken podcast. Nathaniel, this is going to be a very exciting episode, though, as we have a very special guest joining us today. One who I am just delighted to have. I feel like he is my kindred spirit. Uh, It's going to be a great time.
2: Yes, we have James Grady with us.
1: So I met James through the wonderful device that is the tweeter more commonly known as the Twitter. Um, he had liked a few of my posts. I liked a few of his posts. Then we slid into each other's DMs, as the kids say. Um, <laughs> and instead of sexy pictures, we started talking about demonology grimoires, which is truly my love language.
2: Yeah, that, 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 that's a step beyond... Like, like, that's a couple of bases beyond normal sexy pictures for Max. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, he showed me a very beautiful library... Filled with demonology grimoires, which really puts me to shame, James. I've got a lot (laughs) to work on to reach your caliber of stuff. And we just kind of got to talking about the occult and religion and mythology and really kind of developed this awesome friendship. And I, of course, wanted you on the show because you're such a fascinating human being and you have so many accolades and such a rich history, I think, with the horror genre. Please take it away. Tell us who you are and what you've done with your life. (laughs)
0: <laughs> Thanks. Well, right now I'm I'm actually really far out of my out of my origins. I'm I'm uh, the editor of Out and About Nashville, which is Nashville, Tennessee's uh, local LGBTQ plus magazine. I got into that when I came to Vanderbilt uh, Divinity School and I studied Jewish theology in Divinity School and Jewish philosophy there, and uh, edited a couple of books and and taught for a long time and. Uh, then moved into something where I could make a living, and so I, I I kind of got out of professional, you know, geeking out on this kind of stuff, so I'm glad to be with you guys and talk about it some.
1: Uh, James, tell us how you kind of got into the horror genre, per se. Um, yeah, you
0: know, that that goes way back. My My mom was a big horror fan, and so... Uh, we were we were very poor and and our earliest our earliest uh, vacations were to check into our town's local hotel and rent a VHS recorder and have all night horror marathons and um, I can remember oh my doing, gosh. yeah when I was like <laughs> six or seven so I, I can remember seeing Zombie Lake when I was like seven years old and watching uh, you know Nightmare on Elm Street Part Two and realizing that I was both gay and terrified uh, <laughs> and uh, and I think it, it, anyone who watches
1: um, the second Freddy Krueger movie realizes they're a little bit gay. You can't yeah. watch that movie and not be a little bit gay.
2: Um, except for when I watched it when I was oblivious, completely <laughs> to any gay subtext. Because I'm, yeah,
0: that's me. <laughs> oh my god. So yeah, so I I grew up on 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 that stuff and and reading uh, you know Stephen King novels that were left in the bathroom and and uh fell in love with the necroscope books and all kinds of horror. So I I grew up reading that stuff religiously, so to speak. And then when I was in middle school I discovered the Holocaust and, and my, my my interest in horror took a very historical turn and, and so horrors just kinda of permeated everything I did. You know, I wrote I wrote an honors thesis at Emory on demonology and Wrote wrote a master's thesis on exorcism and possession, and it's just always been evil all the time, you know.
1: I have I'm recording on my couch, and right behind me is a Ouija board. I've had it on a few of my big sponsor calls, and it's gotten quite the looks. So <laughs> <laughs> it's quite fun. Uh,
0: I know. Since since COVID has us, has us all at home, I have to decide: is this a meeting where I blur out my background, or is this not a meeting where I blur out my background? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I get
1: that. Um, all right, so you. Uh, this awesome background i i have to praise your mother because really that is parenting at its finest and teaching Absolutely. your kids about horror <laughs> what is your favorite horror movie that you've ever seen you pick one for us and maybe tell us a little bit why
0: yeah you know i have to say favorites hard but the most influential horror movie that i've ever watched is the exorcist because it's the one that really sent me down the road of like studying Uh, demonology and exorcism um, academically and and it kind of gave me an obsession and so from there the omen and things like that but the exorcist really was the one that you know made it more than just you know the fun thing that i did on saturday night
1: (laughs) so quick question then have you read the book the exorcist
0: i have i have a number of times Do you prefer the book or the movie you know what? I, I am such a I'm such a visually lazy person. I love the movie because I, I I lack the ability to sort of visualize and so when I read it's it's words in brain. So I love being able to see it. I do.
1: I, I love the book, however I don't think it's really terrifying until, you know, the last third portion. Yeah. Um but the movie itself it's just so iconic and so beautifully done. Um it's like Rosemary's Baby. It's kind of a hallmark demon movie that you just can't replicate without failing. Uh, apparently they're going to try and replicate The Exorcist, but we'll see how that goes.
0: Well, that's ridiculous, but uh, I'll watch it, of course. Um, I mean, yeah, I will spend a good $10 to rent it, but right. I won't like it. Uh, yeah, Exactly. Though, though, did I, I must say, it, it was an extraordinarily guilty pleasure to watch and, and kind of enjoy the Exorcist TV show. It was just terrible, but it was also great. I loved it.
1: You know, I didn't hate the first season. I thought they did some really fun things with it. Yeah. Like, the little plot twists about Reagan here and there, oh, yeah. that was a little silly. The second season, I made it one episode in. It's hot garbage.
0: So <laughs> yeah, no <laughs> definitely no. don't watch that. No, no. The first season, though, it was just a guilty pleasure, I I have to say. I don't think the new movie is going to be a guilty pleasure. Yeah, no. But again, we will all watch it. <laughs> everyone, everyone. Oh, for sure. Oh, for sure.
2: Um. So, you know, if, if The Exorcist is is kind of, you know, your top tier, most important horror movie to you, what is the scariest horror movie for you?
0: I have never been able to quite put my finger on why zombie horror is is the thing that scares me the most. Uh, and so, so really, I have to say, the uh, the original Dawn of the Dead uh, is probably the one that can still make me just decide I'm going to leave the downstairs lights on at night and and walk upstairs in the light rather than walk upstairs in the dark.
1: Hmm. That is interesting because Nathaniel and I both really don't care for the zombie genre yeah. as much. Um, I mean, it's it's an iconic, of course,
0: component of horror genre no yeah,
1: i'm just kind of over zombies yeah
0: you know i i hear you and and i don't like i don't reach for the zombie movie like it's not it's not the one that i that i will pick if i if i have to just pick a horror movie to watch tonight but but they leave me with that feeling of of just despair and hopelessness that terrifies me deeply i i think it goes beyond like intellect you know it just it hits me at an animal place
2: yeah, that, that, that existential dread of, of the hopelessness of, of that kind of situation. So,
1: so, James, as a kind of a... where you did your the- thesis in demonology and you're educated in Jewish studies, tell us a little bit more about that. Why why demonology? For me, there's a lot of catharsis in learning about demons and kind of those who have fallen from the straight and narrow. Um, but for you, what does that mean? Why, why demons?
0: Well, I think, uh, again... Uh, People don't associate it with Jewish studies, and and for me they were kind of separate. But uh, I guess what I got obsessed with when I, you know, when I fell into in my teen years the, uh, this fascination with with tragedies like the Holocaust and the Soviet gulags was the radical evil of humanity. For me, that sort of embodied and personified and made into an entity in demonology. You know, we study the worst aspects of. Uh, intellectual beings uh, crystallize into these into these intellects that were angelic potentially or in the case of the ones we might talk about tonight not initially angelic um, but but intellects very much like ourselves uh, but pure and purely dark
1: well that I think is really beautiful I consider myself to be a pantheist um, so agnostic at its core However, demonology, to me, is kind of an evolution of kind of this negative zeitgeist that society has, and, Mm -hmm. you know, early on, bad things would happen to people, and they, of course, had to put blame onto something, and so we created these icons and images of evil, Um, but you bring up a really good point, you know, with the Holocaust and goulashes and everything, we, we kind of... Mysticized Hitler and Stalin and Mussolini and all these horrible, horrible people, and created our own modern demons to some regard. Absolutely, uh, we just don't worship. I mean, some people worship them, and they should go to hell. Pun intended.
0: Right. Um,
1: but it's it's just kind of fascinating to have that dichotomy exist in modern day society.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, my own my own uh, theory, I guess. Rising out of uh, the Jewish tradition that I, that I was so steeped in. And, and I guess relating to, to this movie is, you know, that in a lot of the, in a lot of the ancient Jewish texts, there's a lot of disagreement about where demons come from. Were they created or did they, did they come from a human? And, and the, this idea that, that a separate entity could be created by human evil. Is a really interesting philosophical concept when you think about something like the Holocaust, where it becomes so much bigger than Hitler and so much bigger than even the Nazi party, and it it gets beyond them and spreads
1: well even the the deconstruction of divinity as well, that you know if we have this divine, loving being watching mm. over us, why is he allowing evil to be born through his creations? Yes, um, and you could even take it further, you know, Hitler was part of the Tool Society, a secret societal cult in Germany that, you know, worshiped the Aryan race and, and something that started out very, you know, dogmatic, very religious, very god-fearing and then devolved into kind of this satanic thing. Yeah. I mean, it's just it's fascinating. Um, yes, yeah. it's tragic but fascinating.
0: Well, and you know, some of the texts that that the that the demons that we're going to talk about tonight come from uh, talk about uh, people like Nebuchadnezzar, you know, who was who was this king of Babylon who uh, was, you know, came to Israel and destroyed the the Jewish nation and the Jewish people. And um, in in Jewish theology, once that period ends, uh, this figure is looked upon as a tool of God, right? And 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 these evils are are incorporated into theology as tools. They're they're not outside of creation like they are in in a, in a certain Christian theologies, you know? They're not fallen and separate. They're they're actually ordained in a certain way, and that's that's horrifying. Well and to
1: piggyback off of that too, I mean the biggest grimoire that we know of, the Lesser Key of Solomon, is said to be you know, the guidebook of King Solomon, the one who created the Jerusalem Temple. Yes. Enslaved demonic powers to you know, have his wealth created? It, it, it's a lot of the stuff that you know, modern Christianity. I think don't know and understand, and are a little bit afraid of. Um, but moral of the story is, you and I can talk about demons for hours. Let's <laughs> maybe talk about this movie that I was really moved by. Um, Nathaniel, do you want to kind of let us in?
2: Yes, though, actually, real quick, before we jump into the movie, I was just curious about a specific horror novel that um, uses the Holocaust in some interesting ways. I was curious if if you had read and and what your thoughts are, James, Uh, specifically Carry and Comfort by Dan Simmons. Are you familiar with it? Have you read it?
0: I have downloaded it onto my my Kindle like as of like three weeks ago and I haven't read it yet. So you got me a little too early for that one. Okay,
2: fair enough. Uh, well, um, I that is one I, I have read. Definitely, just you know, wanted to, I guess, at the very least, put in a, a little plug for it because it it really does a very good job of showing some truly horrific evil. And yeah, mm. it, it uses the Holocaust, but not like not in a cheap way. Um, like like the Holocaust is is the background of one of the main characters, and you know, but it, it, it's dealing with vampires, but not your typical blood-sucking vampires but that's all gotcha. i'll say to avoid you uh, to avoid spoiling anything too i want you to have the the great experience of, of just reading it so um anyway yeah I was, I was curious about that but now shifting gears let's talk about the vigil uh which depending on where you look online came out either in 2019 2020 or 2021 <laughs> i
1: noticed this as well it was quite
2: humorous I think it's because you know it, it was one of those. It was available in some areas, or, or you know, because of some uh, different I don't know ways it was distributed or dropped, or maybe it had like a very small theatrical release in like 2019. But then you know, festivals, they were up.
0: festivals too, yeah,
2: yeah, festivals exactly. Uh, and then you know now is is really just kind of becoming available more widely via VOD, and I think a, a couple of theaters might have it. Um, but yeah, so, so even if it says 2019 online, that's probably the one you're looking at, even though it just barely really was uh, made available to the public. Anyway, let's talk about this movie a little bit. Uh, I'm just going to give like, the, uh, a super bare-bones plot summary, but then we'll dive into the things we liked about it. So uh, basically what we have is a film about uh, a character named Yakov, um who is uh he he grew up in uh the uh Hasidic jewish community in uh new york and uh has recently left that community he's he's trying to you know kind of get out of uh that way of life um but is pulled back in by uh, a member uh, of that community who uh, you know kind of personally comes to him and says hey uh we would like you to um why am I blanking on the word for the person who shomer yeah, there we go yeah to 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 uh yeah be a shomer uh which is to hold a vigil over a dead body um you know uh, overnight and you know of course that that uh has a lot of you know like reciting of different psalms you know it's it's, it's a way to protect a body from evil uh he agrees to do it because he's desperate for money um but then over the course of the night. Uh, bad things happen. Specifically, there is a uh, demon called a Mazik that has been uh, afflicting the the dead man and his wife for years, and uh, decides to kind of play with uh, with Yaakov over the the course of the night. And uh, he has to ultimately confront it uh, in order to be able to escape the house. That is my my super brief summary
1: let's just kind of dive in because I think there's a lot of good to say about this movie. Um, For me, Nathaniel, we had a few episodes ago where we talked about his house, which was this really poetic kind of movie about the evils and demons of Sudanese lore. Uh, And I really gravitated to the vigil because it was kind of the same, not the same story, but another opportunity to see someone else's culture and the horrors behind that culture really come to light. Um, and sadly, I think Hollywood doesn't do a very good job at expanding uh, the horror genre and showing us these really terrifying stories that exist in other cultures. Um, so the Mezik for me was completely unknown. I had no idea what it was. Uh, in terms of my Jewish demonology education, it's really the life often about that. I mean, Sameo maybe and Azazel. But the Mezek itself was really interesting to me, and so this movie presented this demon in a very eerie way, very unsettling way, but also brought in a lot of humane horrors. You know, there was some talk about the Holocaust and um, some Jewish or some anti-Semitism, um, and so I was really moved. But James, you're the expert here. Do you want to maybe kind of give us a little bit of info on what a mezek is and? Really, the power and breadth behind the movie, and why it was so important to the Jewish culture.
0: Yeah, you know it's it's in, it's it's interesting because I think even within within the Jewish community, um, people are familiar with dibics, and you know that's the most that's the most well known uh, sort of demonic form. Uh, and I was just doing a little research today and, and reading, and I was surprised to learn uh, or or be recalled. Reminded that the Dybbuk only appears for the first time in like the 1600s in any Jewish literature. It's a, it's a new thing.
1: Yeah, the Dybbuk to me kind of reminds me of like a poltergeist. Like Absolutely. C- kind of seems to know about a poltergeist or a Dybbuk, you know? And I think yeah. that Hollywood movie that came out a few years ago, it was it Possession maybe? Yeah. Was about yep. a Dybbuk, and then yeah. you have uh, that rapper, I can't recall his name because. Matashiachu. Yahu yeah, yeah, kind of had that experience with a Dybbuk. And so I think it's a little bit more on par with what the culture is, yeah. you know, aware of. But hold sorry
0: to interrupt. Up. Oh, hold no. up,
2: hold up, hold up. I don't know anything about Modest Yahoo encountering a Dybbuk, and I must know more.
0: Oh, I don't know. He he was in the movie. He was the, he was the uh, rabbi. And he was the little, he was the, he was the, yeah. He comes from that culture, though. You know he's, Yeah, he's, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, uh, yeah. Um, but... I mention the dibek because, you know, Dibbuk's come from human spirits. You know, they're, they're sort of that, that scary ghost that has gone, that has gone desperately wrong. And there is some literature that, that a Mazik is, is a similar, has similar origin. But if you go all the way back to when we first talk about Mazik's, which, you know, dates back to at least the rabbinic era, second to sixth century, there is speculation. That runs the full gamut from God created the mosaic as a mosaic on the sixth day of creation. Interesting. That is, it's one of the intentional creations of God as it is. It's not an accident, uh, and that actually you see in a in a uh, Mishnah passage from Mishnah Avot that lists the things that God made during creation.
1: That makes me feel kind of like is. Uh... Reminds me of kind of the story of Job, where God is talking to the adversary, Satan, you know, and, and kind of sends him on a mission that if a if a Masek is a creation of a divine creature, that it would kind of serve a purpose to some
0: regard. Absolutely, though it's a little it's a little bit different because in in Jewish theology, especially in the in the biblical and early post biblical period, Satan is not a fallen angel. Satan, oh, of is, course, you know, so. But of course, neither are mazik, right? Uh, right, in, right. In this in this worldview, but so so mazik literally translates into something like uh, "damagers." They they're beings of of damage and destruction, and so so their purpose. Whereas Satan's purpose is is justice. Uh, Maybe taken to to literally, uh, the mazik are the, harmers. They they. They dwell in ruins, and they 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 try to draw people into into the ruins and the dark places and the cemeteries to bring them to harm.
1: Kind of in a way similar to like o wisps, they're yeah. kind of leading someone to do something nefarious, I right? Imagine. And I mean,
0: and that's and things things that will ultimately befall them badly. So also like like a little like the uh, the hidden folk in in a lot of cultures.
2: Oh, I was just going to compare them to uh, imps.
0: Yeah, Sorry. yeah. Sim- similar to that though you know uh, i i know that uh you know in some versions they are mostly harmless harmers you know they do they do minor damage but originally this wasn't so originally they they led to very serious harm and they were part of a, a- of a worldview where there were a few different names but in the ancient world, they all kind of were used interchangeably. So Shadim and Mazikim were uh, were kind of interchangeable names that by the Middle Ages became different classes of demons. And, of course, this is influenced by Christianity, which loves to classify demons and give them jobs and hierarchies. And, you know, are you, are you a second-class archduke of the fourth, you know? Right.
1: How many legions are under you? And, uh, yeah, yeah.
0: Whereas, whereas he- Hebrew is a very poetic language, and so we tend to find our demons in the language of the text. So, you know, uh, some, some people may be aware that the Psalm 91 is, is a famous exorcism psalm. It's used in the Catholic exorcism. It's used in Jewish exorcisms. And that's the one, you know, you shall not fear the terror by night. According to the rabbis, that, that psalm actually names a whole bunch of demons because it says, thou shalt not be afraid of the terror. Terror being the name of a demon by night, nor of the arrow; the arrow being a de- ches, being a, a demon that flieth by day, nor for the pestilence dever, which is a demon, nor for the destruction ketev that wasteth at noonday, and so each one of those things that it's naming are the names of demons, and so it's kind of an all-purpose exorcism in that way. Well,
1: and that is incredible, poet, like incredibly poetic, especially because I think a lot of Christianity pulls demons from previous cultures that exist, and you have Beelzebub, Moloch, all of these other demons that were deities to pagan cultures, but this Jewish tradition really just kind of inherently had, not necessarily demons, but almost adversaries is what it sounds like.
0: Exactly, and and because the language itself is so poetic, you know, nouns are directly derived from verbs, and so anything static also implies something moving and, and living you get these, you get these uh, states that can also be actors, right? Mm-hmm. So pestilence is a thing, but it's also a, sta- a, a an activity. So,
1: with all of this
0: in mind,
1: <laughs> what are your thoughts on the vigils? What do you think it did right when it came to nazik and, and other kind of components of Jewish lore?
0: You know, I think that it embraced so much of the of the of the lore around the culture you know down to how how do you guys feel about about spoilers or we do we do spoilers or we are a spoiler yeah go ahead nathaniel
2: (laughs) yeah yeah just yeah we 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 just lean into that because otherwise we can't really talk about what we want to talk about
0: okay so so this is not going to be this is not too bad of a spoiler but for instance there's this there's a scene where He's, he's sitting as the showmare and there's a light that goes out. The, the light bulb bursts. And, uh, there's an ancient Jewish custom that, uh, when you're sitting as the showmare, you, you have a light that you put at the head of the dead body, which is where that light was when the bulb went out. Mm-hmm. And it's That's- at that point that it really goes downhill fast.
1: This is why you're on this show because <laughs> moments like this, you just think like, Oh yeah, that's a horror trope that they gotta do, but uh, that—that's poetic. I love that.
0: So I—I I loved things like that. There were so many little details, and I'm—I'm a—I'm a sucker for little details. My absolute like my, the moment where I sat forward came very early. It's when when the Rebbe comes and and hires him, and he tells him why he's done it. Why Why he came to pay him. and Why is he willing to overpay him? Because he says, sitting the vigil, it brings you closer to the community. It's truly God's plan. It brings you back to us. Now, being a big exorcist fan, what did that remind me of? Well, yeah. it's an excellent day for an exorcism. You'd like that. <laughs> intensely. But wouldn't that drive you out of Reagan? It would bring us together. You and Reagan? You and us. Like, <laughs> that That moment I was just like, I, I don't know if it was an intentional shout out, but I was like, ugh. That bringing us together, you know, horror okay. does that. It brings us all back together.
1: There were a ton of parallels, I think, between *The Exorcist* and *The fear, especially kind of the build-up between the demon and its, you know, "quote-unquote" possession. I don't think it was possessing Joaquin, Joachim? is saying that right. Mm -hmm. but kind of the way it presented itself was very similar to kind of what you see in traditional christian narratives when it comes to demonic possessions which i think resonated with me as a viewer because i am so familiar with with the idea of possession from a christianity
0: standpoint
1: that i i was intrigued it wasn't so foreign to me that i i had no idea what
0: was going on well and i kept thinking from from a perspective of somebody who's, who's, no, who's thought a lot about possession, you know, this is clearly a case of a classic demonic obsession, mm-hmm. right? You know, there's For sure. Definitely no, no possession, but, you know, so much of, of what we're used to seeing, like the, the faces in the dark, and, and these, you know, um, just um, creepy moments, uh, people appearing where they shouldn't be, um, just great stuff.
1: Yeah, and I think the plot itself was very poignant, and mm. subtle but at the same time very relevant for what you know the united states is dealing with i feel like we're having this terrible resurgence of racism and uh, kind of hate against minorities which we think we are a very anti-trump podcast so i will say <laughs> it like that that unfortunately our political environment has given rise to and so you know kind of conflating the idea of anti-semitism with Demonic presence really mm.
0: hit home for
1: me because they are the one and the same. Yes, um, and it was incredibly tragic what happened to our our protagonist.
0: Yeah, and I love the way that it paralleled that frame story. I know, I know, not everybody's going to love the way that it ends, um, but the you know that that opening frame story with the old man whose body we're with the entire evening and and his experience with. Uh, a Nazi, and then this young man's experience of of losing someone to uh, anti Semites, the parallelism between them, and and the opportunity for things to repeat themselves in a in a merciless fashion, um, and you really don't know till the very end whether it's going to.
2: One thing that I I kind of want you to maybe give a little bit of insight on is just a little bit uh, about like a Hasidic Jewish culture, just because like I feel like you know it's something like I'm. I'm Peripherally aware of, but you know, I feel like there might have been a few moments or, or elements of the film that I might have not had a, a firm enough uh, understanding of. N- anything that you could maybe fill us in on, specifically, like the big thing for me is, you know, okay, so like what what is involved in, in like leaving that community? Mm. How is this a little bit different than you know most uh, practicing uh, Jewish people in like the United States today? And also, yeah. like, what's up with the the Stuff that he puts on at the end.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, let me just say a little bit about Hasidic Judaism, um, and um, it's a it's a it's a really tragic story, actually, uh, because you know um, Hasidic Judaism's capital really is New York City in the modern world, because the world of Hasidic Judaism was the world of Central Eastern Europe, and you know there were there were. Dozens of Rebbies who all led these dynasties of Hasidim. Most of them were destroyed completely. They were utterly, utterly destroyed. You know, unlike the two thirds of European Jewry, there were entire religious movements wiped away. And the ones that weren't uh, survived by relocation to Brooklyn. And uh, so, so what we see really are the remnants of that. Now, before I mention a little bit about why it's so difficult to, to leave and why we see this young man in such a desperate position, Hasidic Judaism is also very different from main mainstream Orthodox Judaism, much less conservative and Reform Judaism in America or elsewhere, uh, because uh, Orthodox Judaism is a is a legal religion. It's based on a on a religious law code. Um, it's it's very much about practice and, and following uh, a certain code of law and ethics. Hasidic Judaism uh, follows the same law, but its tradition is a mystical tradition. So Hasidism is a, is, it's much more of a mystically oriented group. Um, they believe in um, spirits much more fervently. They believe in uh, the power of prayer to change reality. They believe in, you know, they they look up to their to their Rebbes as um, divinely inspired.
1: So in a way, it's, is it kind of like a traditional Christianity? You know, we I, I think we see a lot of modern Christians kind of believe, you know, not in, in the Bible in kind of a figurative sense, that prayer right. is good, but it doesn't really... Move
0: things this is much more a <laughs>
1: conservative type of a a way
0: yeah i mean it it is conservative in, in in the sense of the practices it's it's very radical in the sense of its views about the power of of the personal relationship with god um and so so really, for me, if I were going to give people a a metaphor for understanding it, I would have to turn to nineteenth century mormonism.
1: Yeah, I mean that's kind of what it reminds me of both myself and Nathaniel have a Mormon background and it's really resonating I mean we Mormons nowadays believe in a living prophet and the power of you know this priesthood and I mean Nathaniel you're more an expert than I am nowadays
0: <laughs> but yeah ab- ab- absolutely the, the position of the Rebbe of a Hasidic movement is very much like the position of a Joseph Smith who you know, uh, God speaks to this person. Um, the difference is b- because Hasidic Judaism is Jewish, they may take a much more adversarial role towards God, whereas you know, in a you know, my understanding of of uh, say Joseph Smith would be that you know uh, he presents himself as speaking as a prophet, so yes. as as sort of a mouthpiece for God, a Rebbe is God's representative, but he's also man's representative. And so you read these great stories about 16th, 17th, 18th, 17th, 18th century rabbis, and God seems to be punishing their communities. And these rabbis will go head to head. They'll take hunger strikes, demanding that God go back and and review the situation and overturn his judgment that God will not do this thing that he is trying to do
2: seems very reminiscent of of the literal wrestling with with God you know when yes. Israel became Israel by name
0: exactly and we take that we take that as as a um as something that the Jewish people are called to do um one of the reasons that Abraham is viewed as heroic is because of his argument for Sodom and Gomorrah right God wants them to be destroyed and Abraham argues him down and they're actually there are actually Jewish traditions that so so God doesn't continue to test Abraham after that except for one time. You know, he after Sodom and Gomorrah, Abraham only faces one more test, and that's the test at at the sacrifice of Isaac. And there are rabbinic interpretations of this story that God never tests Abraham again after the sacrifice of Isaac because Abraham failed the sacrifice of Isaac. Uh, not because he didn't sacrifice Isaac, but because he didn't argue with God over it. So for what Christianity views as, as his faith, uh, the rabbis view as his failure to understand God's point.
1: Well, I, think, I, I love that, and I think it is really beautiful and something that you know modern Christianity has lost a lot of is kind of the hubris of the divine, that they yes. are these omnipotent, beings that you know have such an influence on us but at the same time you know like the ancient greeks zeus was an adulterer he had these fallacies and you know Drew, jewish tradition prophets are not revered because they speak to god but because they fight and defend humanity um right. and i think there is a deep and deep powerful kind of spiritual connection with that that we're all liable to make mistakes Right. Even the divine, and how connected can we feel to the divine if we understand that they
0: are not infallible? I, I don't know. I, I'm just very moved by that description of Jewish
1: floor. Thank you for sharing.
0: Absolutely. Thank you. And and one of the one of the reasons that I wanted to, to to push us back to that is is to then come forward and 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 say, you know, so we meet somebody coming out of that tradition, which develops into Hasidic Judaism. Uh, in a, in this very mystical form, so it takes the it takes all the, all the sort of the charismatic faith tradition, and it brings it into the Jewish context, uh, but it also brings it into this context where this community is forced out of Eastern Europe by the Holocaust to Brooklyn, New York, and they come here speaking Yiddish, looking different, and they do not um, they do not integrate. They they build their own communities. They wall themselves up metaphorically, and so you'll notice almost everybody in this um, in this movie that's uh, from the community has an Eastern European accent. But none of them were none of them are immigrants. They're all born in America, and none of their parents were immigrants. Their parents were all born in America, but we're talking about communities where in the year twenty twenty. They have, they have Yiddish-only schools in their community. So English is not their first language, even though they're third-generation Americans. They grow up speaking Yiddish, and they learn English. On top of what you might see with, say, Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, imagine if they didn't speak English either, how much harder it would be to get away.
1: Yeah, and I, I, I mean, I don't want to make any comparisons between the two, but as an ex-Mormon, I, I resonated with this character quite a bit because it grow up with this entire paradigm of what life is supposed to be. Yes. This mysticism of prayer, this mysticism of priesthood, this mysticism of prophets. And then all of a sudden you make the decision to, to completely remove it from your life and you feel lost and you feel broken. And a lot of your peers are still within that religious dichotomy. Right. And it's hard to function. And it's kind of a mind fuck to be vulgar yeah um, and so for me that that resonated really really deeply and it brings in the the thematics and the symbology of a mesic even more because you know it's this creature that in the show and i'm not 100 percent sure if this is accurate has its face kind of turned back and looking towards the past and what a powerful symbol for something like this that you're you know you're your guilt and your shame is caught up so far in your past and what you were. And if you can burn that and start to look forward, how liberated
0: you'll feel. Yeah, it's, it's, it's that trap.
2: Yeah, and, and so just uh, relative to the the Mazak having its uh, head turned around. So I listened to uh, an interview with the director of the film. And so he talked a little bit about, like, why he chose to go with Mazik. And, you know, a lot of it was just that, like, he, he's tired of seeing only dibics and that kind of thing. Yeah. You know, he knew that there was more to offer in, in his culture. And so he, he decided to, you know, to go with a, a Mazik. But, you know, he, he had to kind of tweak it because, you know, he talked about how basically it, it was, you know, in a lot of the research he did, it was described as a minor demon. It was supposed to be invisible. Which doesn't really pan out well for uh, a horror movie, and also yeah. that uh, it tended to just leave chicken footprints everywhere, and 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 it, so he said, you know, that was going to be a, a hard sell as far as uh, effective scares, and so yeah, he came yeah. up with this idea of it of it facing backwards, yeah, kind of as a as a or the head facing backwards as a symbol for. The main character's uh, story arc.
0: So yeah, no it 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 was a great it was a great device for him. And I was I was going to say you know I, I've never I've never heard of that. So I'm glad that you found him saying that that was sort of his 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 made up. I I, I do have to say though I I read other interviews with him, and um you know he he should have called me because those those things that he mentioned are are not the main representations of it. Uh, there's some great stories about um. You know they they have these they have these um, almost like astral bodies. They have subtle. They're made of subtle matter, and so they can be seen in some descriptions. They just don't cast shadows.
1: Yeah, well, I read they're very similar to the jinn. Um, yeah, kind of these elemental spirits.
0: Right. Um, here, but here we see the weakness of 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 looking to the Jewish tradition for for a definition of something, because like, these things are described in so many different ways. Were they created by God on the sixth day, or are they the result of an evil spirit, an evil human? Both things are said by authorities. So...
1: I mean, and at the end of the day, when it comes to demonology, there's so much personal interpretation. I mean, who created this idea that Satan had cloven hooves and hordes, you know? Like... Right. uh, Is all interpreted... A furry. A furry. Uh, Yeah, essentially. (laughs) (laughs) I am sorry to all our furry listeners but Satan is part of the...
0: Well, you know, the, the, don't don't discount Satan as furries. They have the, they have a right to exist as well. Absolutely. If
1: they're not hurting anyone, you worship Satan in the best way possible.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um
1: but the kind of the point I want to get at is we we embellish so much these ancient narratives um that who knows what is right and who knows what is wrong. And I think the poetic Part of it all is it's open to interpretation.: Yes, um, which is why I love being an agnostic is uh, you know, God to me is a very personal creation, a very personal feeling, and no book or no religion or culture can tell me otherwise. Um, and for me, there's beauty in that, and I understand that that's not everyone's narrative of course. Mm. So we've kind of veered off track of the movie, which <laughs> I, again, I could continue to talk about this because I'm obsessed. I regret um, nothing. Overall, I think I, I think the movie was good. It's not perfect. Um, there were parts that I really really enjoyed. I think it had a very well developed sense of eeriness to it from start to finish. I think this poor little babushka. Um, <laughs> I, I I did not like her at the beginning of the show, and then I really was rooting for her at the end. Yeah, so a few more points that I really really enjoyed. Um. is I, I think I, I mentioned it though that the demon allegory of having its head turned back really resonated with me uh, I went through a very nasty divorce I focused a lot on kind of the negatives of my past and so mm-hmm. watching this individual kind of fight his past and move forward with his future was awesome for someone who has kind of been through the gamut with that Um, but also i really enjoyed that the end of the movie wasn't his like faithful devotion back into religion he had this very profound experience with this demonic entity and i was worried that they were just going to be like oh okay and now all of a sudden he's this zealous hasidic jew again all over (laughs) and and it wasn't that and i think that gives him a lot of credibility that you know this moment didn't define him he had this moment where he had to come to terms with who he was and what he believed in, and that was his decision to make.
0: Could I could I hop in there for just a second?
1: Absolutely. Hop in wherever you please. <laughs> you know
0: you know, at at the end he puts on his tefillin, he 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 puts on these traditional Jewish uh prayer elements and he says these traditional Jewish prayers and honestly I think the beautiful part about that is you know, he makes it through this night, he saves this old man's soul, and what he can take away from this is he can be Jewish and not fall back into the trap of that kind of Judaism.
2: I do like your uh, point there that, you know, he does use the the symbols of of his faith and, you know, uses the prayers and all of that. Like, that, that is a a weapon and that, that he can have faith, but it doesn't have to take the same shape as it did before. Could could you speak a little bit exactly. to, to what the, the nature is, uh of all of those I guess, I don't know, ceremonial uh pieces of, of clothing and stuff that he wears when he finally has his final confrontation are.
0: Yeah, so so he will he will he uh, for for those of you who are who are lovers of leather, he's he's wrapping to fill in which are with which are leather phylacteries. Uh, I know that sounds sexy. Um, don't not, as, not don't, as sexy as you want them to be. Wait till you see the movie; you won't think so anymore. Um, so, Maybe so, someone will. I there's sure <laughs> someone on Tumblr right now, ready to go. Yeah. I, oh, yeah. No, there's they're, 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 for everything. I've got some here at home. If you really like them, um, <laughs> Roll so, uh, <laughs> so 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 uh, these these phylacteries are are leather boxes. They're they're little leather boxes. And inside of them are are little prayer scrolls, and and the um, the prayers that are written on those are the are the texts from the Torah that tell you to do that. You know, um, and you shall keep them in your right hand and in your you on your on your in your on your head, and and uh, bind them as a sign, et cetera, et cetera. So that ho- that whole passage from the Torah is written on little scrolls and put in these boxes. And you you mount it on your head; it makes you look like a little Jewish unicorn. And then you put it on your arm, and you wrap it on your arm. And and there's a certain way that you you wrap these bindings on your arm. And you do that in the morning before you say morning prayers. Uh, and you know you'll see that that constant. The the Rebbe invites him to morning prayers later. What what is unsaid in the movie is, of course, already done. It he's already he's already performed his morning prayers, Rebbe. So he puts on those, um, uh, those prayers. And if you look back at the ancient rabbis, there were two groups of ancient rabbis, like there are two groups of rabbis everywhere. One of them said, Oh, this is just, you know, we're just doing what the Bible says. We're putting it on our forehead and we're putting it on our arm. And most of the rabbis were like, Yeah, that too, but also evil spirits. <laughs> you know, this, this is our, this is like the, the full armor of God, as the Christians would say. So, so you, you've got literally the words that, that God gave to Moses commanding this on your body as a, as a physical representation of God's, of, of you accepting God's commandments upon yourself. And, you know, if, if you don that in, in faith, that's viewed as an extraordinary uh, protection against evil. And so he, he does that, and then he goes to face the Mazik. And, you know, we have that for the budget of the movie, that great scene where you know, he faces off with, with this evil spirit. And then, what I think is the much better scene where he faces off with the spirit as it tries to hold on to the soul of the dead man.
2: I, I agree. I, I, I really liked that scene a lot more. I felt like it was it was more Cohesive, just yeah. yeah, him, him, you know, reciting the prayers and and staying there as this body is like convulsing and making some very unpleasant clicking noises. Um, yeah, 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 that scene really worked for me. Considering that, uh, you know, and, and kind of the just you know thinking about those scenes, you know, to me, actually, this this also seems like another parallel to The Exorcist in a lot of ways,
0: mm-hmm. in that
2: you know we have you know the the equivalent of you know our our priest who is doubting but then who prepares. Uh, and then goes and faces the demon, like you know, it, it feels very similar in that way. But you know, we don't have our old priest and the young priest; we just have our young priest. But but yeah, like like the the preparation and and all of that leading up to it really kind of works as a, a an interesting parallel to The Exorcist. And also, yeah, going back to that um, interview I listened to uh, with uh, the director writer Keith Thomas, um, yeah, he he you know kind of pointed out that like he, he did want to bring other you know kind of classic horror elements and, and kind of mirror some of those things as well very deliberately. So I don't think that's a coincidence.
0: As far as liking it, the thing that I liked the, the, the most about it was in that very final scene when the old man's body is thrashing and clicking. We, we, we hear him say those words, let him go, let him go, over and over again. And you'll almost miss it if you're not paying attention. But he says to the man let him go he's not talking to the demon he's talking to the soul of the man and that to me sort of finally brings that theme home right it's not the demon that has control over the man it's not the it's not the demon who is holding on to the man it's the man who's been holding on to his demon
1: yeah and i i think that tracks for what the magic is right it's kind of this this poltergeist that sticks to a spirit yeah and forces you to relive Moment.
0: And because of that, because of that reliving and that constant looking back, he, you know, you we get attached to our traumas. Uh, we, we find it hard to live without them.
1: Yeah, they become comforting to some regard that you've been through this thing. That's the reason why you act. The reason why you act. And, and I yeah. understand that, but at the same time, there's no personal growth until you kind of, you know, face that fear and face that message Yeah. Let's maybe talk about a few things about the movie that maybe we didn't love. For me, I can go first. I, I feel like sometimes the acting of the movie, there were parts where it felt a little bit cheesy. Um, the story was so well-developed and poignant that I didn't care as much as I normally would in another movie. But the main character and the grandma, uh, the babushka, or whatever we want to call her...
2: Mrs. Litvak. <laughs> yes.
1: I felt was a little silly at some parts, but... But not bad, nothing that I would
2: hold against the movie i uh, honestly thought that probably the weakest acting was really more just like some of the peripheral characters like uh sarah the the girl that he's been flirting with and stuff like that like that's
0: I right. don't know I didn't really
2: buy her performance that much, but you know, it, it, i I wouldn't say it was ever terrible, but it wasn't always the best
0: and I have to say when when i when i when I saw the when I saw the notes about this I, that's that's what I thought that you might be going for, but for me, having having met people who have left that world, those people reminded me so much of people that I've met, because they aren't used to interacting with people in a normal way.
1: That's a very good point.
0: And they're all they they're, they're so stilted and they're so they're bunched up and they're they it's it's like watching people trying to play people on stage. And kind so for f- me, it was really good.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, that, I think that's again a frame of reference that.
0: Nathaniel and I just don't have,
1: and that really you know, changes my mind about it, of course. A few more things that I didn't quite enjoy particularly. Um, I felt like the music sometimes was a little bit louder than I wanted it to be.
2: Not uh, just the music.
1: Very. That's a very odd comment. I feel like we haven't really talked a ton about musical scores when it comes to horror movies. Um, but I think this film could have really benefited from just some silence sometimes.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I thought it ha- it has great music but it was used so poorly.
2: Yeah, and and it also it wasn't just the music that they turned up too loud. Like some of the sound effects were just so loud. Like mm-hmm. I had it I I was watching the movie by myself. I had it turned down pretty, you know, pretty low cuz I have, you know, sleeping kids in the next rooms. Uh and then my uh, but yeah, my wife came in and she's like, "What?" What is up with the scary noises in this movie? Like, that's the only thing I hear is these <laughs> loud, like, nasty, mm-hmm. freaky noises. And I'm like, ah, it, it. I, I think it's just that it was trying to equate volume with scares. And I felt like that was a little bit amateurish. Uh,
1: and again, I think at the beginning of the movie, the plot was a little slow. I'm kind of notorious for hating the pacing of movies. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if it's I'm just old and I don't want to waste time, but like, let's get it going. <laughs> But, again, it's... kind of felt like myself nitpicking about things that I didn't quite love, Um, and that is just one of the things. I I wanted the story to kind of be like, okay, let's go. Let's get moving. Um,
0: Yeah,
1: That is probably just me being stupid. (laughs) Because it, it, it was important. We had to see kind of that abrupt transition out of the Judaism and the development of the Mesic. It was in is important to the plot and i just I think got impatient <laughs> right
0: and i think they belabored trying to make us know that he was questioning his own sanity
1: yeah that's a good point i can see that kind of like this weird just juxtaposition of is it demonic or is it just him um it kind of dragged on a little bit
2: there
0: right but so yeah. did the exorcist about the same issue yeah that's fair that's a very good point <laughs>
2: Yeah, but yeah, they could have done that for two scenes less, and it would have been a little bit tighter. So, one thing that that kind of bothered me in the film is really just that uh, Mrs. Lotvic, at or sorry Litvak, I, I I fixed up my vowels there. <laughs> um, she at no point seemed to have dementia to me. Um, you know, it talked about oh yeah, she has dementia, she has Alzheimer's, or things like that. No, that's that's not my experience with people with Alzheimer's, especially with how lucid she was uh, about talking about right. all the stuff in the past and her, um, you know, trying to warn him and show him things. Like, no, hmm. she, she, she was way too there and clearly knew what she was doing the whole time. And so, I, I don't know, I just don't see why they even bothered saying that she had dementia or something, because to me, that didn't contribute anything to the plot and in fact just kind of distracted me because i was like what what are they talking about
0: you know i i thought the exact same thing but from the opposite perspective i I again thought that they were doing the exorcist thing because the whole time you're yelling it's not the temporal lobe it's not (laughs) like anybody would know that it's not this and yet you're you know you're kind of making fun of the doctors um and then i also kind of wondered you know um this demon has been affecting her sanity for 40 years. Maybe people think that she's losing her mind. They just don't know what it is. Because yeah. these people don't go to doctors.
1: I mean, that's kind of where I gathered it. I didn't really have a ton of issues with the dementia thing. It was kind of like a, oh, okay, she has dementia, but really it's a demon. Mm-hmm. I know. But I can see where you're coming from, Nathaniel. It kind of felt a little contrived for the plot. It's yeah. under regard kind of to add this element of, oh, is it just in his mind, or is it really a demon?
0: Right. They just... Ha- you, you really shouldn't have, is it in two people's minds as the, as the plot device, because clearly then it's less likely. Yeah. Yeah,
2: exactly. <laughs> One thing that, that I also wanted to bring up is that, you know, clearly I, I had some questions about uh, the, the culture and the lore and all of that, you know, in, in the film. And so to me... I didn't want it to spell out everything for me by any means, because I, I feel like uh, that is almost hand- or almost always handled very poorly in film. But, yeah, to me, I just felt like there was a few elements that really could have maybe been made a little bit more clear of of what was happening, what was some of the cultural reasoning for things. Uh, just mm-hmm. because, you know, being a guy in, in Utah, I, my uh, life experience doesn't uh, give me a, a lot of that context. So... Right. Um, so yeah, there there were a few things that I was just kind of like, I, I I felt like I was, you know, came into it a little bit more well-connected than, than maybe the average viewer, but even still, there was a few things that kind of flew over my head.
1: See, Nathaniel, here, I struggle with this part because you reveled in his house and how unique it was and how, like, innovative and original it was from the Sudanese lore. And so I'm a little curious why this didn't, Kind of feel the same way to you. Why was this not approaching that same topic? Um, I, I'm just curious because, again, in, in his house, we talked a lot about how we were so impressed with it being, you know, this foreign concept to us and how poetic and you know how it aided the horror movies. Why did this movie not do the same thing for you? Was there a disconnect somewhere?
2: I I think that a lot of it is that in in films where it does it especially successfully, like his house, to, uh, a lot of times we have an an outsider that is, it, you know, having to occasionally ask questions and go, hey, so what are you talking about? What's the context for this? And, and, you know, again, you can easily overdo that and have to have someone just sit there and explain everything to the audience. But I, I felt like... You know, his house did that very well. It had had just enough outside people interacting with our main characters to, to kind of give us a little bit more context. But with with this one, I just felt like because everyone was in that community or were very familiar with uh, the Hasidic Jewish community, um, there were just a few things that, you know, they, they were just kind of so entrenched in, in the, the jargon and the you know traditions and things like that, that it, it didn't ever take the time to kind of make things a little bit more clear to the audience. I uh, just, you know, give me a few more hints or, or touchstones to to kind of work off of. And and again, like, I don't think it, it did it too horrifyingly poorly or anything like that. You know, I, I felt like it did a pretty good job, but you know, like I, I walked away with uh, more questions than I would have liked, you know, a lot of times I like to kind of learn something new from this. And I felt like I uh, left this film with a little bit more research I had to do to appreciate it as much as I would like. Does that make sense?
1: It makes sense, but I, I think we're going to have to disagree to agree here because when we talk about his house, really there were only two scenes where you had outsiders kind of looking into the situation. Maybe three. I don't know. This, this negative point of yours kind of surprised me a little bit um, just because we do talk a lot about how a good horror movie makes you want to know more and do research outside the movie. Um I'm not I'm trying not to say that it's bad. I was just a little yeah. surprised by this critique from you here.
0: You know, I I also having seen his house recently, I didn't feel like the outsiders actually served the purpose that you did because I didn't get much information be- from them beyond the weird suspi- situation. We're suspicious about these outsider people who are acting really weird in this house. Um, I, my theory about why it doesn't resonate quite as well is that it is easier to accept our non-understanding because it's a little more foreign. We have less, because we have less cultural touchstones for the, for the, for the African influences, it's easier for us to just accept our lack of knowing and then seek out information. Whereas, unfortunately, I think. Coming from a Christian context, a lot of people f- feel like they know more about Judaism. And then when they come up against Judaism as it's actually practiced, they realize, oh, wait, do I not know about that? <laughs> so I don't know. For, for me, I find a lot of people have that experience of, uh, of Judaism. when, For instance, when they come visit us at synagogue, they feel unhappy <laughs> in a certain way because we're not what they expected.
2: Yeah, I I think that, that that is a great point because yeah, I, I I definitely felt my ignorance in a much more frustrating way I guess uh, with this you know considering that because yeah like if I don't know stuff about Africa well of course I don't because you know the education system has never given me beans about that when I was growing exactly. up. Uh, another thing that I and 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 you're right I I think I was kind of off off base with. You know pointing out the the outsiders involved in his house, I think maybe the the difference is that a lot for a lot of his house the the way that the story was told it was kind of unraveling this mystery of why this was happening uh and so when mm. we had that big revelation of of why exactly they are being haunted by that entity, and I'm not going to get into spoiler territory because you know. Uh, I don't want to spoil it. it totally for everybody <laughs> well well that and also it's just like you know if if, if someone's listening to this episode and haven't an, uh, encountered uh, his house yet, yeah, I'm not going to spoil that that moment watch it for sure and then uh listen to our episode about it but you know I felt like that made a lot of things have a lot of context and make a lot more sense to me mm-hmm. then with this w- with this film I felt like you know, I didn't necessarily have big revelations that kind of clarified some some meaning uh, or or some of the things that were happening.
0: Yeah, I, I can see that. And you know, I think I think we armchair quarterbacking. One of the one of the great scenes was the moment where he sees the video of the of the man doing some explaining. Doesn't feel like you're being told, but you're being told some things. I think they could have worked a little more into that. They could have worked a little more of that. The old man's research, like dropped elsewhere but yeah
1: i wonder too nathaniel if it's a moment of a narrative for for me i felt like i you know had this moment where i was confronting my past again and realizing that no this does not define who i am i don't know i i think we can talk about this for you know much more (laughs) than we have time for in a podcast i think what really speaks to the testament of this film is that it allows every person to kind of interpret it in a little bit of a different way Mm -hmm. you know for me it was about resonating with my past for you james i think it you know it spoke a lot to your jewish heritage and nathaniel even for you it kind of had a different meaning and and that is a hallmark of a good movie that there's one message but somehow it transforms and evolves to mean so many different things to different people oh yeah um and that at the end of the day i think is more important than anything else with that, do we want to maybe go into kind of our ratings and how scary we thought this film was?
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: For me, uh, for me let's start with crowns. Um, so James, again, for some context, we rate this movie on a scale of 1 to 10 crowns because we're the screen kings. <laughs> how good we thought it was. and I started out with an 8. Um, I, As we've kind of been discussing and talking about it, I'm leaning more to an 8.5, even a 9. Um, yeah, I think I appreciated this movie a lot more after talking about it with everybody. Um, so that's where I stand. Nathaniel, how about you?
2: So I'm going to be the downer on this one. I I gave it a six. There are a lot of things I really, really like about this film. I really enjoy a lot of the story elements, but the, the little bit more amateurish filmmaking things kind of bothered me more than maybe I should have let them. But yeah, I don't know. I... I had a hard time with just how much it was just, you know, screamingly loud whenever anything spooky was happening and things like that. And, and I felt like, yeah, there's just a few moments that were too difficult for for me to parse at at certain times. And other times it was bashing me over the head with information. I don't know. I just don't feel like uh, this filmmaker quite found his sweet spot yet, but I will say that like, I, I plan on watching whatever he makes in the future because I think as he gets better at his craft, it will, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll be rating future uh, films of his, you know, much higher.
1: See, I, I, Nathaniel, that kind of blows my mind a little bit again, because you said it was bashing your head over with information. But we just had this huge conversation about, like, not having enough conversation or information. So
2: I, the only the only thing <laughs> I just, I
1: guess I'm confused.
2: OK, to clarify with that one, it was actually <laughs> that video. I felt like the video was the video in the basement was a little bit too okay. in your face. I, I you know, liked
1: his position all at
0: once. Maybe?
2: Yes, it was a little bit too direct. Okay. I wanted it to just kind of more subtly divulge the information, because he just came out and was like, this is how you fight it.
0: That was too much.
2: Yeah, if if <laughs> that, it was incorporated was into what he was talking about a little bit more subtly, then that would have been yeah, better. But but basically, he he walked down, the video told him, this is how you fight this, this bad guy, this, you know, this is how you fight the demon, and then then suddenly we have our, our creepy moment and then it and then we stop looking at the video so that was too on the nose for me but that was the only part i was talking about with that sorry uh james how did you feel about it crowns way
0: yeah you know uh i'm just gonna pop right in there though and say you know i thought that that video was the only way to get the information out about the musique that made any kind of sense so i liked that up until that point i agree about the about the telling him how to defeat it, uh, but, yes. So I, I gave it a nine. I'm I'm inclining towards a nine point five. Put put everything else aside. Name a better Jewish horror movie that's been made in the last fifty years. I can't. And so so for me, it's 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 just a. Um, it's it's an achievement in that sense, you know. It's not like the possession, it's not like Divot Box knockoff movies. It's it's a legitimate Jewish horror in the in the tradition of the Exorcist, and that's not something we've got. You know, we don't we don't have that. So um I, I think it's 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 a nine for me.
1: Well, and I think that is important to recognize because it's diversity within the horror genre. We're always talking about, you know, this classic si c- cishet white final girl and we're tired of that trope and we want something different and then we're presented with this beautifully crafted jewish movie and we need to give credit where credit is due i feel
2: yes uh here's to many more uh jewish horror movies because i i really want so much more now like this this has has definitely piqued my interest in uh, a lot of really intriguing ways so yeah please let i i really hope that this filmmaker goes on to make a another dozen you know jewish horror movies though uh the next movie he's making oh, yeah. i think is actually a stephen king adaptation so uh who knows if 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 he will totally go off the rails there and never revisit jewish horror uh, i hope that's not the case
1: <laughs> i i would love though ari aster a24 to get a hold of you know some jewish lore and. Some... Quite or you know, some sort of Kabbalah, because I think they would do it in such a subtle but realistic way. And we are very hard, die-hard A twenty-four Ari Aster fans here, but I think he would do it. He would take the poeticness of this movie and just beef it up a thousand percent. Yeah. Um, all right, let's talk about screens.
2: Yeah, how scary was this movie, Max?
1: For me, I gave it a six. I feel like some of the horror tropes that we saw were a little, you know, routine. But again, I think my narrative of my life, you know, coming out of Mormonism, going through a divorce and kind of being able to have some catharsis through the mesic made it a lot more real for me. And uh, to be honest, I, I kind of had some weird dreams after watching this movie, not about a mezik, but about, you know, some of the regrets I had in my marriage and... And kind of my sexual orientation and coming out and all of that. To some regard, I kind of dealt with my own personal message, so that's why I, I gave it a six. How about you, Nathaniel?
2: Uh, I gave it a four. Uh, I felt like you know the there were some really great creepy moments, but as a whole, like just this this style of scare with you know mostly just like a lot of like unnatural movements or things like that just doesn't quite get under my skin like it mm-hmm. used to. So. It, it was a four, but that's probably mostly me being very desensitized to this type of horror.
0: And how about you, James? <sighs> so, I have to say, beautiful movie, it made me think a lot, it made me feel a lot. I wasn't that scared. Uh, yeah. I do think it's a great horror movie, it's just not that scary. And I think... Part of that for me was just the the cleanness of the resolution. You know, in the Exorcist, you have you at least have some death and you have some extra uh, extra loss, etc. So, I would probably go five. Just just reading some stories from the rabbis today that were scarier than this movie. So, you know, we gotta we gotta ramp up the game from the sixth century.
1: Well, let's kind of start to wrap the show up a little bit. Um... James, just for some context again, how we usually end a show is we call the segment Stain Spooky. And this is what you know TV show, what movie, what book, what podcast are you listening to that is within the horror genre. It kind of allows us an opportunity to um to shout out other horror creators out there. Um for me, I have been fascinated lately with the serial killer The Night Stalker. Um, they did a little little call out to him in the Netflix documentary about the Cecil Hotel Mm -hmm. and there was this artist's rendition of him that just stuck with me for far too long and it was terrifying and creepy and so naturally I needed to watch more documentaries about him (laughs) Um, and Netflix has an incredible documentary it's just called The Night Stalker it's a four part little mini series it is terrifying and I think I found my limitations. I can watch the most grotesque horror movie, but when it comes to like serial killers and the real-life horror that humans can cause, it, it kind of gets under my skin. I had to, to stop doing my serial killer kick for a few days, because I was just getting a little too. And I'm going to undermine everything I just said, because I recently found a new podcast called What Makes a Killer. <laughs> um, they just started their second season, but the first season was a 12-episode kind of little mini-series about the most infamous serial killers out there and kind of breaking down what happened in their lives and how they became serial killers and what lessons we can learn from that. You know, being kind just because people are different doesn't make them bad and and kind of putting it all together in a little bit more of a a bigger picture that is terrifying and creepy to learn about these serial killers from all over the world but also very uplifting, as odd as that sounds, about we gotta be better people than we
2: are. So, that is how I am staying spooky. Uh, James, how have you been staying spooky?
0: You know, I've, I've been on a little bit of a horror comedy kick lately, so uh, I really enjoyed Freaky, which uh, I did not expect to when I, when I saw it. Have you guys seen that?
2: I still oh. need to watch it.
0: It's, a, it's Vince Vaughn. Vince Vaughn is uh, a serial killer. And, uh, he and a high school teenage girl switch bodies like Freaky Friday, but now he's, you know, able to use her to kill people and she's trying to get her body back. So it, it's fantastic. And Bloody Hell, which is a bit more of an action horror comedy, uh, about a about a, a guy who, uh, is sort of like, uh, Mission Impossible, but captured by a, a murder family in Australia. No, no, uh, N- Norway or something like that. And, uh, yeah, he has to kill this murder family to escape. And also their teenage daughter falls in love with him.
2: Both of those sound like my jam. Definitely, uh, Freaky was already on my radar, but Bloody Hell is now definitely going to be a a must-watch. So how I've been staying spooky lately is uh, I just recently read the newest Stephen King novel, which is called Later. Based on the cover and based on the fact that it was uh, published with, like, a... By, by like a, a paperback, like prime publisher, I didn't expect it to be a, a horror novel, but it was. It, it's about a guy who can kind of see ghosts, sixth sense style, a little bit, but he has that start to go horribly awry when um, his mother's girlfriend, uh, who is a cop, forces him to uh, start. Using his powers for uh, hunting for some especially nasty people it's it's really fun it's I don't know it, it was a quite a ride all the way through. Um, it had some really surprising and and sh- uh, just just like I, I almost dropped the book kind of uh, references to some other Stephen King stuff that I did not see coming you know so, some very notable things that I was like, oh wow I okay, cool. I mean, you know, he definitely always ties all all of his stuff together, uh, you know, in, in like this greater universe. But this one was a a turn I did not expect. Yeah, it's it's a really solid book. It's I would say one of his funnest books in the last I don't know five ten years. So uh, later by Stephen King definitely worth a, a read. But any other uh, things do we uh, that we want to cover relative to the movie or uh, any other recommendations we want to throw out there while we're while we're at it?
1: Um, I just want to give a massive, large, huge thank you, James. This has been probably one of my favorite episodes we've recorded, probably because you're a demonologist and you speak my language (laughs) and you don't go running when you hear that I love the lesser key of Solomon. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for your insight, your explanations. I think this is a truly fascinating but also
2: edifying episode for our listeners.
0: Thank you. I really enjoyed uh, talking to you guys.
2: Yeah, it's it's been a pleasure. We will definitely have to have you back to, uh, you know, dazzle us with with your insight in, in some future episodes. Uh, where can people find you in the meantime before we uh, have you back?
0: Uh, I am on Twitter at uh, JamesAllenGrady, A-L-L-E-N.
2: Okay, so I guess, yeah, since there's nothing else to say, let's uh, call it good with Stay Spooky. Are, are, are you not going
1: to say it, Matt? Stay spooky.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: Need even more, Scream Kings? Here's our obligatory shameless social media plug. Follow us on Twitter or Instagram at Scream Kings Pod. You could also email us at Scream Podcast at gmail.com. Help us reach a wider audience of horror fans by leaving a review on iTunes or by sharing a link on social media. You can also support the show by going to patreon.com forward slash screen Kings. Stay spooky.